0: Hello and welcome to the Girls on Fire podcast, first episode back for Term 4. Last week, MLC hosted its first ever Innovation in Education Festival, a festival that brings together educators and industry leaders across WA and the country to discuss the future of education. To discuss the festival, how it went and the inspiration behind it, I'm joined by Megan King, MLC's Director of Innovation. Megan, thank you very much for being here.
1: Thanks, Sam. It's lovely to be here.
0: So first off, what is the Innovation in Education Festival?
1: Okay, great starting point. So I think you did a really good intro. The, the Innovation in Education Festival was actually designed by my business partner, Scott Miller, and I, and the whole concept was about bringing together educators, entrepreneurs, um, industry leaders, Um, to really explore what the future of education not only could, but maybe should look like. And that was our inspiration. So really it's called a festival, but it's um, it's an educational conference as such.
0: Excellent. And so you say uh, it was yourself and Scott who masterminded the festival itself. What inspired the festival and what was the thinking behind it?
1: Yeah, so um, Scott and I have been working together over a number of years. Um, We've put together a couple of really great programs. Um, MLC has, you know, enjoyed some of those over the past two years. Uh, But the thinking, I guess, behind the festival itself was, you know, what's the next step? We're doing these great programs at our school, and I know um, Bob and other startups and entrepreneurs are, are doing fantastic programs at multiple schools. But, you know, how do we bring together, like, this diverse range of people People who are all really passionate about the future of work um, and preparing students for this. Um, but like, how do we bring them all together, create these discussions and have a space where that collaboration is at the forefront of everything? Uh, so, I guess for us, that was the thinking behind it, but, you know, there's a whole lot, as I'm sure you can imagine, um, to put this together. So, you know, we we also needed to think about creating something that was really affordable um, because to have a broad range of attendees, um, you know, and we really wanted university students right through to industry leaders and educational leaders um, which meant that we had to secure some partners and sponsors, you know, to make it all possible. And I guess for us, um, what became really exciting as we went through this journey this year to put it all together was that we didn't really have a proof of concept when we were taking this idea to our partners and sponsors, but, um, you know, they all jumped on board. And I guess what it told us was there's a real appetite for this discussion. Um, and there's a, there's a real belief that it's it's important. So for us, you know, we're going to continue growing this concept, learning more, getting feedback from people that came along and also, you know, obviously people that perhaps didn't. So to find out what they're looking for, we want to include some webinars and, and other opportunities. So um, yeah, it's it's pretty exciting, but it's very new
0: absolutely, i uh, I myself attended the festival. I would say it was a phenomenal success. Uh, what was the best part of the festival for you?
1: Um, for me, I would say, Sam, that the best part was that it was something really new. Um, I really loved having so many like-minded educators. Uh, And also the fact that we had people from all sectors all coming together uh, and all really passionate about talking uh, about the positive ways that we can influence and shape change in our sector, in the education sector, to ensure that we're preparing our students for this, you know, somewhat unknown future of work. And I think that that was the best part, I guess, was that really collaborative feel to
0: it. So, Megan, how has this year's festival uh, inspired you or possibly changed the way you think?
1: Well, I think for me, I don't know that it actually changed the way I think. I think probably it reinforced that I should keep thinking the way I am, um, but it certainly did inspire me. That That's absolutely true. Um, so what it highlighted, I guess, was the fact that, There are so many people in in our university sector in WA, Um, you know, we've got this amazing ecosystem of entrepreneurs and people in the startup space, um, as well as our corporates and our leaders who we're all on the same page. We all wanna work together um, and positively lead change to help young people and to help young people navigate their futures. So I guess, um, and I've, I've sort of spoken about it a bit, hope I'm not harping on, but my inspiration always comes from influencing collaboration, not competition um so it's it was really inspiring for me to see so many educators from each of the sectors come together that was really exciting for me
0: that seems like a very strong message collaboration over competition is that one of the main things that you hope uh, attendees or people take away from the festival or if not what's what's the main message that you want taken away from this
1: it's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I hope people take that away from the festival. You know, certainly it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, but I guess for, for in terms of who was at the festival and who spoke, you know, we had industry leaders as keynote speakers. You know, we had amazing panellists. Um, We had people like Sarah Coleman, who's the CEO of Idoba. We had Rebecca Tomkinson, um, CEO of the Royal Flying Doctor Service. I mean, these are women who were talking about their journey to becoming CEOs. Um, And, like, their their stories are so inspiring. So I guess I hope people took away their messaging, you know, and – I guess saw that that story unfold throughout the two days. But we also had like entrepreneurial CEOs, uh, Elizabeth Knight from Purposeful and Scott himself, obviously, from BOP. And to have that diversity was really exciting. Uh, But I guess in terms of the takeaway, I would say, you know, if you reflect on one of our keynotes was Grant Dusting, who is from MacRindle. And they—they look—they're um, data experts. And and Grant spoke to us about Generation Alpha um, and what work you know, or what life will look like for the generation as they travel through our education system. Um, so I'm going to hopefully not bore you, but with a couple of stats that Grant talked about, which, which I thought were really cool, that I hope people you know really listen to and perhaps have gone away and done a lot more reading about it. But so currently in Australia, there's three million Gen Alpha. And, you know, we've got more than 2.5 million Generation Alpha are born globally every week. So by the time this generation is has all been born by 2025, 2025, they'll number almost 2 billion, which is the largest generation in the history of the world. So for me, I guess that's a really important takeaway that, you know, even by 2025, which is just around the corner, Generation Alpha is going to make up 27% of our workforce. But what I thought was really interesting, and I, and I know we've we've heard this stat in lots of different ways over the last many was well, many years in education, but Grant talked about the fact that for Generation Alpha, it's predicted that they will work 18 jobs across six different careers. Um, And most of these career options are not even known to us. So I guess the takeaway that I I was really passionate about sharing and hopefully our delegates took away is that, you know, as schools, as educators, we need to equip our students to be prepared for this. So, you know, how are we prioritising skills um, over content? You know, how do we use real-world simulations? Um, You know, to make sure that our students are developing critical and creative thinking skills as well as, you know, an ability to work collaboratively in a really diverse workplace or or world, I guess, of the future. Um, But, of course, we have to also be prepared for the fact that this is a generation who are completely connected to technology. They've never actually known a life without it. So, you know, when they're learning at a faster pace, you know, it's so important for us as educators to to really teach them strategies to help them apply their learning and in, in, in new ways, in different ways. And um I hope that wasn't a terribly long way of saying that that's what I think is a really important takeaway
0: no absolutely those uh, statistics are hard to get your head around and i think really drive home just how important innovation is because obviously the landscape is shifting so quickly and you've got to be able to adapt to that so this was the first year of uh of the festival as i said before an absolute success what are your hopes for the future of the festival for years to come
1: well, firstly, Sam, thanks for pointing out it was successful. I mean, that was the goal one, <laughs> was to make sure that people came along and, you know, really benefited from um, what we were putting putting out there. And, um, you know, I was so grateful for MLC um, for supporting this vision. And, you know, that's really exciting. But for the future, um, you know, we will definitely host again in 2022. And MLC has already confirmed their commitment um, to doing that, which is super exciting for me, um, but we I, we also have already been able to get some great feedback from our delegates, um, which was good. And so Scott and I are already talking about, you know, planning on adding some diversification to our masterclasses. So our, our masterclasses were um, teachers, for, like for teachers, by teachers, um, so we really want to diversify the types of things that we offer in those classes. Um, and we also are very passionate about adding a student stream. So, I'm particularly excited about developing that concept. Um, that's certainly a, a real passion area for me.
0: We are going to now hear some of the audio from the uh, careers in STEM panel. Why was this topic so important to spotlight for you? And is there anything you want to say leading into this uh, panel discussion?
1: Um, yeah, look. Our, the panels that we had at the festival were really diverse. So we had a startup panel, we had a corporate innovation panel. Um, prior to the festival, we actually taped principles panel. So hopefully, maybe after listening to the podcast, people might go and search for that and have a watch because that was absolutely amazing. But The STEM panel was really important. Um, One of the, you know, leading on from those stats I was talking about earlier, you know, we know that a a really high percentage of future jobs um, are going to require STEM skills. But for me, the messaging around this is important and it has been somewhat misunderstood, I would say. Having STEM skills doesn't mean that you become a mathematician or a scientist Um, What it actually means is that STEM skills are applicable to just about every industry. So the fact that we had some really amazing West Australians coming and talking about their work in the STEM industry I think was um, something that our delegates were really fortunate to, you know, have that opportunity to listen to. So sounds like you're going to share some of it, so hopefully our our listeners can also enjoy it.
0: We'll now go over to that audio stream. Uh, Megan, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Sam. We're now going to hear an excerpt from the Careers in STEM panel. This panel included Lucy Cook, founder and CEO of SpaceDraft, Tara Broadhurst, manager of student equity at UWA, Kate McGilvray, the program lead at WA Data Science Innovation Hub, and Karina Price, STEM XR manager at UWA. This panel is moderated by Simon Carabetta, the project engagement coordinator at WA CyberHub.
2: And as you can see, uh, Kate and I obviously got the memo on colour coordination for today's panel. (laughs) So we're well and truly uh, organised. Um, I guess um, my next question would be around around what could Australia be doing better in terms of engaging uh, students in careers in STEM? So I'll go to you first, um, Tara.
3: Australia is a country, so I don't know that Australia will do anything better. Um, I think it's the people that are within it and the different communities. Um, so that's a really hard question to answer.
2: So I'll, I'll be more specific. What could what could education educators and the wider STEM community do to engage students more in STEM education?
3: Also a, a huge question, um, and I'm actually going to defer. I've back. got
2: more if you like.
3: <laughs> no, um, I'm actually going to defer back to the the gender piece, and I know I can talk about lots of different ways that we can. Um, Get more equity in STEM, but I'll just kind of finish my, my story about gender. Um, and when we look at what the the well-researched and documented barriers are to getting more girls into STEM um, in Australia, uh, um, so the barriers for primary and secondary school students are a disengagement from STEM. So um, Australian chief scientists came out and said, you know, disengagement with STEM starts at year three for girls your educators, you've probably seen it earlier than that as well and I I personally would challenge that it happens earlier than year three. Um, There's stereotypes and there's bias, there's lack of role models, Um, there's family and cultural expectations Um, and then there's uh, a disconnect between what's being taught and learnt in the classroom um, and, and real world jobs. Young people can't see themselves from what they're learning in the classroom to what, to what, the, how that connects to a career and I know you're all educators and the fact that you're here means that you're, you know this information, you're part of this conversation. So it's how do we address each of those barriers and I think there's the role to play of, of educators and those who are here today are clearly passionate and part of that conversation. We talk a lot about, um, um, about our parents as well but I think a piece that's actually really missing in Australia um, is, is the media And so, you know, I think um, looking through what happened in the 90s, those people who used to watch the X-Files, have you ever heard of the Scully effect? So lots of women entered science because they were really inspired by that role model that they saw. And I know thinking through the presentation we saw earlier um, about um, – yesterday about Generation Alpha and the role of influencers. And I think there's a really interesting piece that we can play in, you know, how do we use the media – um, I actually did a, um, an internship in the US with PBS and we um, they ran a whole channel about getting more girls into STEM and designed TV programs um, that really tackled that that influencer space. So I know it's a bit of a different answer, but I would say um, one of the places we could sp- play and where we could look is that influencer uh, space and the media, particularly from a gender lens, sorry to harp on about it, but if we think about who our scientists are in Australia on our TVs, it's Dr. Carl um, it's Alan Duffy. You know, um, there's a few females and they're doing a really incredible job. You know, Lisa Harvey-Smith and there's some great teams, like, popping up. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a big piece that we can all um, – that would be interesting to see be activated in Australia.
2: Absolutely. And great response there. And it kind of hits home a bit with what we're doing at the OS Cyber Innovation Hub and also with, with Kate's Hub. And we're trying to really um, create opportunities to get more, I guess, women role models in front of young women – Um, to influence them to get into a career in STEM. Um, What about your thoughts on this, Karina?
4: Yeah, don't make it difficult to follow, do you, Tara? (laughs) Um, I I think you touched on a whole bunch of things at the beginning of that, so maybe elaborating a bit on some of that and and, um, connecting the dots, but broader than just the the women um, in STEM, but just generally raising aspirations across the board is about, yes, exposure to role models and exposure to... An understanding of the potential of where your STEM skills can take you and having students recognise that they could tackle real-world problems and have real impact with those STEM skills rather than shying away and being scared of them or or feeling like, no, this is not for me, I don't like this, I don't enjoy this, I don't see the relevance. And I think part of doing that is, yes, exposure to role models and connections to um, in in the world that I operate in, connections to the real-world applications of STEM. So I work within a university context and... The space that I'm in, science communication, is really about creating exposure of how a STEM skills being taken and actually being used to address real-world issues. And I guess the challenge here is, well, how do we get that into classrooms? How do we get those tools into the hands of teachers? How do we better equip schools and learners with the capacity to expose students to that? And so that's the space that I operate in, and I think that there could be, you know better support for those sorts of infrastructures and how we can actually achieve that so the educators who are maybe here willing excited and enthusiastic but maybe wrestling with the capacity to actually do this in in small time frames and you know they need to try and take something to plug and play or to reach out to external providers to achieve this or stuck in regional and remote areas where it's not easy to access this stuff a better system that better supports that connection to, to the real world, to the to the role models and to the, the way that STEM skills can so that we can raise those
5: aspirations and those inspirations.
2: Thanks, Karina. Great response there. And what about yourself, Lucy?
5: Well, I reckon just bang on the doors of some companies that you like and just say, I've got this army of awesome kids. They're curious. Can we come in and spend a bit of time with you? So we do that every Tuesday morning. Our office is in Netherlands. Little plug here. No, but, um, you know, real company you know, getting that real work experience, you know, we work, we're in at Scotch College two days a week in Hale School, basically, because the boys want exposure to entrepreneurship and software development, you know, and I tell you what, the engineers, it's the most exciting part of their day when you get a bunch of kids walk in going, what's that, you know, and it's that curiosity in the field, right that's going to give them the exposure to be like oh my goodness i can look like that or i can be a woman or i can do this you know and it doesn't matter because you're just a company working towards a common goal of changing the world because of xqr whatever reason that drives this company's purpose so getting that young blood in it's inspiring for everyone in the workplace so let's just you know, just bang on the doors, because, you know, industries is desperate for new blood and innovation, as I'm sure the teachers and students are, to get exposure. So i just, you know, I'd say that.
2: I, I love it, and that whole bang on the doors thing, I, I'm going to adopt that. I love that approach. It's fantastic.
5: Because, you know, you talk about the media and the press. Well, everyone loves a bit of a post, like, look who was visiting today, look where we went today, you know, breaking down those, those walls it's it's you know working together and then as a result we ended up hiring two scotch boys from year 12 who were really curious and so now they come in $300 a week and they just get you know help
2: out and that's how it works folks that's fantastic that's it love it <laughs> great response there Lucy thank you very much and that brings me finally to Kate
6: thanks um so Over the last year or so, I've sat on a bunch of um, panels as a sort of woman in STEM, which has been a very strange experience for me because I definitely would not have considered myself to be a person in STEM. And sometimes I still wonder if I'm a person in STEM um, because of my background. Um, You know, working in government, I think, you know, if I was to call myself a scientist, I would say I'm a political scientist. I, you know, studied politics and human rights um, and worked in community services um so you know it's kind of been a I guess a strange transition for me and um I think part of that is because there certainly when I was growing up and I, and I think the same still remains there is this huge kind of gap between are you going to be someone who does uh creative social things um or are you going to be someone who does science things Um, You know, and fairly early on, I sort of had to decide which one of those people was I going to be. Um, You know, and I liked drama and dance. Maths was the only subject that I ever failed in high school. I dropped out um, because I wanted to do dance instead. (laughs) And my uh, maths teacher told me that I would never succeed at anything because I hadn't done maths. (laughs) Um, So I proved him wrong. Um, but I think the point of the story is that I think we need to break down that wall between you're either a creative person or you're a science person because all of us know that that is just not the truth at all. Yes. Um, I think everyone in, on the last panel um, that I was able to see and on this panel have talked about communication and problem solving. All of those are creative skills um, and really learning the technical skills of, of whatever sort of STEM subject you're in. Um, aren't going to be particularly useful if you're not someone who is also creative, especially when it comes to innovation. Um, A a short story, um, on one of the panels that I sat on earlier this year, a teenage girl came and approached me afterwards and she said, you know, it was really interesting listening to you talk. I, you know, wanted some advice. I'm, I, you know, I'm really like um, coding and technology and I'm interested in AI. But I also really like, you know, creative things and, and that kind of stuff as well. And I, I don't know how to decide uh, what I should do. And yes, I told her, you you don't have to make a decision between those things, Um, particularly when it comes to stuff like talking about AI and where those things go in the future. We need people who are creative. You know, she was interested in psychology and social sciences. We need people in those fields because we need people who are talking about the ethics of AI and understanding all of those kind of things as well. And, And you can combine both of those together. You don't need to be one or the other. I think a lot of women are potentially inclined to do those creative things whether or not it's socialized into us or or whether or not you know it's part of who we are Um, and if we start telling women that you can be a creative person in stem then maybe that starts to open some more doorways
0: thanks for listening to this week's episode if you enjoyed it feel free to like share or leave a review and make sure to stay tuned for episodes to come